there's a wide range of possibilities within sustainability and because we're working with people that hope to actually make a career out of it and become professionals I feel like I'm learning that with everyone's interests Mm -hmm. and that that's kind of what I'm hoping to showcase with this whole podcast is that there are so many different types of young professionals that are implementing sustainability into what they do Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of you know what would you call it like ambition in that way people are very ambitious but it's kind of like we're all searching for a direction or I feel like I am there's a certain amount of ambiguity, I think, with when people ask me at least, like, oh, what do you want to do with this? What do you want to do after this program? And I draw a blank a lot. But when people ask me or just bring up topics, I can almost immediately go, okay, this is a, a sustainability issue. I can address these issues, these happenings through the lens of sustainability and I'm doing it with the tools that I'm getting here which is really cool and so I guess I'm trying to use this podcast as a way to synthesize that information and hopefully gain some insight into what I want to do and I think talking to people that have those same aspirations that have those same ideals will be helpful when kind of crafting how I want all this to move forward. Okay, so you ready? Yeah. Okay, well, this is Suspect. This is what we're doing. This is our podcast. This is our first episode. We kind of have no clue what we're doing. We're doing this by the seat of our pants. A uh, little bit of a fly-by-night operation. And we're hoping it comes out all right in the end. And I think with what we were talking about previously, that's kind of how I think our career paths are kind of going. It's like, well, we know what we kind of want to do. A lot of that is we know what we don't want to be a part of, for sure. And... It's something that we're trying to now put into words. And I think that's what suspect is. So sus, sustainability, and spec, specialized. So sustainability specialized, we are taking a look in a very critical manner about what sustainability is in this day and age, what it means to us. And hopefully we're gonna be talking to some really cool people along the way and see what they have to say about sustainability. So, yeah, that's that's suspect. That's what we're going to be doing in the coming weeks and months. And hopefully for all of you listening, you're going to like it. and You're going to want to listen. Um, with that, I'd like to introduce myself. My name is David Hugens. I am a sustainability management student here in New York City studying at Columbia. And with me is... My co-host, Hilary Osborne. Hi, I am also a sustainability management student at Columbia University. Um, David's being very modest. He's saying that we don't have a plan, but we've actually made some post-its. So we at least have somewhat of a plan, which I think is very indicative of how I feel about my whole career path. Is like sort of I have some post-its and some plans for what I want it to be, but the end result is sort of hazy. I guess what we're trying to do with Suspect is identify what matters, what matters to us as students, what matters to us as professionals, what matters 
to the greater world and industry of sustainability. And because it is such a new field, it's a young field, trying to identify things that other young people can latch on to. And I know I brought it up in the blog post that was posted through Trendster that there was, what, 20 of us in that bar? And there were 20 different answers or non-answers of what we actually studied. But that doesn't mean that we don't all have ideas of what's going on. Like you were saying just earlier with the Flint, Michigan water crisis, and I think that that's very euphemistic to call it a water crisis because it's so much more than that. That there really is a sustainability lens that I think may be lacking in mainstream media, but a lot of people are kind of dancing around. And I think that that's what's really interesting about water in general, because it is a human right, but it's also no one is necessarily willing to invest the money needed to really make those infrastructure successful. And that's one of the huge problems. It's like there's not really a market share value. There's not really a market value for water, but we need it and we consider it a necessity. So it's like that disparity. Also, I just think that my goal for Suspect is basically to showcase these young professionals because we are we do all share these similar concerns but it's sort of hard for us to verbalize it so it's cool to sort of show the range of different people and how they're utilizing concepts of sustainability in their actual work. Yeah, we're hoping to give everyone who's listening a really good taste of what it is that we experience on a day-to-day basis and how we process that information. So apart from the Flint, Michigan issue going on, once again, a very euphemistic term issue. It's, it is a disaster. It's a crisis. It's a state of emergency, I think, right now. And it seems like everyone's just kind of pointing fingers. Someone else dropped the ball. And that's where I think that sustainability has a really good angle because sustainability is it's a focus on solutions, not necessarily on placing blame on something. But how can we fix this situation? And what it does, at least from my perspective, is it holds everyone accountable across the board. It's this very unilateral look at things of how can we address issues and situations that we're currently facing because it does affect all of us equally. And it's interesting, too, because the Flint, Michigan crisis, which is a euphemism, as you're saying, (laughs) it is a spotlight, but it is literally like a pinpoint of light on a much broader issue. It's basically the tip of the iceberg. And like you're saying, as as opposed to pointing blame, people want to think of one singular grand solution. But I, I heard this really amazing quote the other day, and it's that... There's no such thing as a silver bullet. It's a silver buckshot. And I think that's something that we're learning in our program and sort of just with sustainability concepts in general is that it's such a broad range of things that have to be done and have to be focused on. And it's like it's a series and of things that we have to do. It's a progression. It's like it's all a process. It's never perfect. There's no one grand solution. It's just, you know, we're kind of working towards it. And then the other thing that's going on that just happened this last week was Supreme Court uh, came out and said that the EPA may actually not have uh, the authority to be enforcing President Obama's uh, moratorium on emissions from power plants. And I find that really interesting, not necessarily because 
uh, of the sustainability issue per se, we know that power plants pollute, we know that it's an issue, but we also realize that we need power. But the very concerning thing for me at least is it brings into question whether or not the EPA uh, can actually enforce climate regulations. And this goes back all the way to the Clean Air Act. And now all of a sudden we have the Supreme Court saying, well, maybe they shouldn't do that or can't do that. And that puts sustainability in a very precarious place because how are we supposed to enforce all of these really great ideas that we're learning now? How do we bring that in a regulatory manner to, I guess, the nation? Well, also, it's like because of the agreements set in place in the recent COP21 in Paris, it's like if we don't follow through on our plans and if that doesn't, you know, work out, then what's going to happen with other countries? It's like we are setting a precedent by being able to implement these regulations. And if we don't, then why would any other country feel the need to do so or feel obligated to do so? Yeah. And then it's Kyoto all over again. It's like, hey, we have all these countries that are agreeing like, yeah, maybe we should cut back on emissions. But we're, we're going to agree that it's an issue, but we're not going to do anything. Yeah, right? Like, we're going to do something about this wink, wink. <laughs> but that's why the United States is, you know, a huge part of that. And we have to set a precedent. We have to be a leader on it. So now, how did you get into at least this program? What kind of pushed you in the direction to apply to a sustainability management program? Um. So I went to undergrad for performing arts and writing. So obviously it was a very clear path. No, not at all. Um, I, I went in to undergrad for performing arts. I got out of undergrad. I moved to New York City. I kind of putzed around for a while. And then I ended up going and working on a vineyard um, in Wisconsin. So I sort of started working in agriculture. And I've always been interested in gardening, like on a small scale. But I actually worked at a legitimate vineyard. I did some farming there. I worked at a couple farms in upstate California, including one that my cousin lives on, which is basically like it's pretty much functioning as an entirely sustainable farm. I mean, she has her own cattle. She grows her own food. I mean, there's some exceptions to that, but... They're living on their own. They built their own house. It's a very impressive little commune they've got going out there. But um, after that, I was thinking that I had studied more about, did some research on urban farming, sort of like rooftop farms. And I had a friend who had established uh, an organization here called Just Food. And it's like basically just rooftop farms. And they, you know, grow food there. They sell them at farmer's markets and the like. And I was like, I'd really like to get involved with that. There's a farm school associated with Just Foods that I tried to get into. No one responded to my emails. I applied to a couple different schools. And I mean, in the end, I was just going to end up getting a certification. And I found that really frustrating. And then as I started thinking about it, it's like, what am I really concerned about here? I'm concerned about where people get their, their food, how they grow it what that implies for our resources. And I sort of was like, maybe I want to go to grad school for this. So I did a lot of research on different programs that I wanted to get into. I kind of wanted to stay in New York because I I liked the urban context for all of it. And so I looked into programs. I applied at the new school. I applied at Columbia. And I applied actually at DePaul. DePaul's program is more like um, an urban planning okay. uh, degree, but which is why I kind of didn't end up going there. So I was sort of on the fence between the environmental policy and sustainability management program at 
the new school and then the one at Columbia. And I just kind of decided on Columbia because it's fucking Columbia. So what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm really happy with that choice. So luckily I don't regret it. But yeah, that was kind of my line. And now I'm sort of looking more into... I'm still very much interested in urban agriculture and sustainable agriculture but I'm also sort of starting to look at sustainability through an artistic lens and vice versa like sort of seeing what the marriage is between art and design and sustainability so that's something I'm starting to starting to explore which is another example I feel like of the range of possibilities really that we have with this program and with these studies is like there's so many different paths you can take so yeah kind of well that's interesting how that you definitely pivoted away from your initial uh, trajectory and I think that as compared to my path coming here I always knew that I wanted to be somewhere in the natural sciences or somewhere at least in this realm I went to undergrad for a lot of things, we'll put it that way. I ended up getting my degree in physical and environmental geography and went into GIS and really loved GIS. It was what a few of my friends and I like to joke about is the geography program is where type B personalities flock to because it's not the physics department, it's not the math department, it's not geosciences. These very heady academic things, which is not to say that those are bad at all, but geography kind of brought this very weird group of idealists and uh, slightly softer personalities together. And then we got this GIS program coming from there. And it's like, oh, cool. I can be, I'm going to put this in air quotes again, a scientist, but still just stay in front of a computer, which was perfect for me, at least at the time. And then spending, I spent five years doing GIS work actually in the same town that my that I got my degree in at the same university doing this. And then finally it was kind of like, okay, well, I need to at least see if there's something else, see what else I can do in this because as comfortable as I was in my life in Chico, there's always that little nag like, maybe you can do something else or different. And if I end up back in Chico or in GIS, it's not, it would be just fine, but... Well, you went to Chico State? Yes. Yes, I, I, I went to California State University, Chico, and it's really funny that everyone knows it as Chico State because at no point is Chico State actually an official name of the university. But, but it has a reputation. It's yes. kind of an <laughs> infamous school. It does. But we're going to pivot now away from my undergraduate education. And we're going to actually go now to an interview. I sat down with Avantika Goswami. She is the current Sumani president. Uh, so of the net impact chapter here at Columbia University in our program. And we sat down and had a great chat. So here it is. In terms of how this sort of came about for me, um, so my my roots or my motivation, or like I was telling you earlier, I feel like everybody has a motivation or a trigger experience to sort of get into sustainability or actively be a participant in this entire movement or framework that we're trying to create. Um, for me, it was really, really basic. Um, I grew up in this 
a small industrial town on the eastern side of India. It's called Jamshedpur. It's one of those towns where everyone knows everyone and um, it's it's very, um, it's kind of insulated in, in, in its physicality, but the people are very cosmopolitan. People travel a lot and stuff like that. It's also a very uh, pretty town. It's uh, large parts of it are managed by the Tata Steel um, steel co company conglomerate, and it's got. I mean, you see gardens everywhere, and there's your traffic islands are landscaped, and it's 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 very aesthetically pleasing, and it's it's known for that. Um, at one point of time, it was a big deal that you could drink water directly from the taps in Jamshedpur, which in India is a huge deal. <laughs> it just it's it's like in New York City, it's a given, but in India, it's a having a portable water supply that way from the directly from your taps, it's it's unheard of. And Jamshedpur doesn't have it anymore, but at one point, yes. Um, now, now this is going, might be really, I guess, ignorant of me, but if you're not getting water from the taps, are you buying that water then? Uh, so it's very common practice to uh, have a filter, like a machine filter, attached to your water supply in your kitchen. Okay. So this is like an entire industry in India. I mean, you have different forms of water filtration technology, but for the most part, for the middle class, um, every house has we, one of the common brands is AquaGuard. It's like a household name. Everybody knows about it. When you're moving into a new apartment, you check do they have an AquaGuard. Um, so it's attached directly to, let's say, the tap in your kitchen, and that's where your drinking water supply comes. And it's absolutely normal pr practice to wake up every morning, fill a bunch of bottles through the AquaGuard. I moved to Mumbai in 2009 for my undergrad, and it was a big shift for me. I I traveled a lot before, so it wasn't like a, it wasn't really a culture shock, but a lot of the very physical and daily habits and sights that I were I was used to weren't really there in in Mumbai because basic stuff like there weren't enough trees. Um, <laughs> I remember um, going to there's this neighborhood called Shivri in Mumbai, which is on the eastern side of the city. We were going there. There's an IMAX theater there. Like, so it's a big deal. Yeah. Shivri also has these, uh, on the coastal side, it has these mangrove swamps, which are uh, like a breeding ground for flamingos on, a, on an annual basis, which is great. And you think that something like that, it's, it's been designated an ecologically protected zone and all of that. But Shivri, so many parts of that swamp have been reclaimed and there's been development happening. So as a result, when you go to Shivri, it's just this vast, barren uh, stretches of land, which become really hot in the summer, and there's dust everywhere, and um, it's 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 very disturbing for somebody for me to look at. And I mean, rather than protecting those zones further, there's just more development, and there's more um, new communities and housing complexes which are built in that area, which are just further sort of denuding it of any kind of ecological value. So experiences like that were pretty shocking for me. Um, on the whole, Mumbai is a great city. It's it's very vibrant. It's it's very diverse. A lot of people say it's like a walking ecological disaster, which it is. It absolutely is. Not just an ecological, it's, it's, a, it's like a systemic disaster waiting to happen in many, many ways. But on the other hand, um, picking up on the entire Indian um, culture and value of resourcefulness, um, a lot of Mumbai survives on these very delicately interdependent and very dynamic systems which just 
we just work they just work in sort of tandem with one another so it's existing somehow but it's not necessarily sustainable it's not sustainable at all that was one of my major motivations um towards focusing on sustainability um i started doing environmental work right from my undergrad um within St Xavier's which St Xavier's College which is my school there's an organization called the Social Service League which is the, the oldest student organization on campus i got involved with them um i was heading their environment projects um in my final year so we tried to do stuff around garbage recycling and and urban green cover and stuff wasn't very successful but there was <laughs> always an ongoing attempt um so largely that Okay. Now, how did you focus or at least find the Columbia program that we're both in now? Okay, so I'm going to probably just answer ask myself a question and answer <laughs> it here. Why did I move to the US to study sustainability? Why didn't I just do that in India? Um essentially, this is a very personal point of view. I feel like there isn't enough technical knowledge around building sustainability solutions. there might be a lot of management knowledge there might be a, f- a bit of business knowledge which everybody seems to want to get these days but there isn't enough technical know-how to which to me is one of the major contributors to the implementation of sustainability solutions so the columbia program gave me that option to sort of explore the technical skill areas and also focus on any of the management or business skill areas if i wanted to and uh, for me personally having been in consulting and having worked on projects around leadership development and organization structuring and things like that i had a bit of that business background already it was the technical know-how and the implementable skills that i really wanted to gain and i felt like this program really offered that um and again location 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 <laughs> um it's a it's a big thing for me uh, it is why i i i chose not to do my undergrad in calcutta which is much much closer to home um and chose to move to mumbai instead which is quite far away um i feel like cities like mumbai and new york offer you so many more forums and opportunities to just explore different facets of yourself but i've never um that's the point i've never really shied away from moving to a city and experiencing things in a city as opposed to some place a little more bucolic and a little more separated from the madness um and and that correlates with a lot of my very inherent principles and values that drive my sustainability motivations um so my focus is on urban sustainability and resilience and um i've learned a lot of these terms like <laughs> transit oriented development and high density mixed use development in at columbia but it's so funny because these are things that i thought of at a very amateur level a long time ago and it turns out that i've i've found that there's scientific proof that these things do work um i really do believe that cities hold the maximum potential for any kind of very proactive and effective sustainability action so i feel like this is where it's at um i think uh, my own uh assessment so far and my own leanings tend to move more towards a uh, correction via governance and policy as opposed not well correction is a strong term but action through governance and policy um but that said i mean the private sector is is so it's so important it's so so important and 
um, I've just never seen myself in a very sort of entrepreneurial light per se. Um, but going forward, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely sort of work in a in a in a private sector firm if if the opportunity provides itself. Um, what I would like to focus on though is uh, working at the city level. Um, in, somehow building solutions or even through consulting, try to empower city level governments and organizations and neighborhood level organizations to, um, to just improve their own quality of life. I have this major faith in grassroots level action. Um, one of the biggest, uh, so I did this study, I, I was in Lynette Widder's Hungry City class last semester and we had this final paper and um, well, the idea of the paper was to study, pick a city, pick one of your cities of origin and study resource flows in that city. Um, I picked the, I picked Mumbai, um, this massive, mad, chaotic blend of many things. Um, I specifically chose the, the Mithi River in, in Mumbai as, as a proxy to explain how resource flows are impacted or um, interacted with by the citizens um, and one of my major um, inferences uh, which I'm still sort of working to refine and, and research much further as I go forward is how policy governance governance and public body decisions impact the resources in a city so very frequently, particularly in a city which has, like, like Mumbai and, and a country like India, which has such a volatile political climate, it's, it's all so, it's, it's never static. It's, it's so responsive to which political party is in power, who their target group is in terms of getting their vote bank. I feel like so many of these decisions are impacted by the, the working of public bodies. Um, in some cases for the better, but in many, many, many cases for the, for the worse. Um, there's also this massive development agenda in a lot of growing um, Indian cities, because of course India is aspiring to be at par with the rest of the Western world, to be at par with China, to be at par with Japan. And in this very strong growth-oriented agenda, so it really is, in a city like Mumbai, I feel it really is up to your government authorities and the different organizations within the government to allow or disallow the construction of an entire commercial complex on the banks of a river's watershed, sorry, within a river's watershed area. It's, it's very up to the municipal corporation and the airports authority and the slum rehabilitation authority. Um, so they can choose to make it different and to like develop a system that's a little more sustainable if they could. Okay. So I think it's it's about what I hope to do is definitely consult and advise uh, city level bodies um, as much as possible provide technical know-how either myself or through partners and collaborators um, and yeah just build in a little more um, efficiency into a lot of these planning mechanisms okay so that was your couple minute extended elevator pitch if bill de blasio's listening where do you see i guess a program like ours because we are still very young in comparison we're only six years old do you see a program like ours succeeding and then 
becoming irrelevant because we are so successful in our, I guess, penetration of the marketplace? Or do you see this as an ongoing needed niche that kind of needs to be these gatekeepers in effect? Um, I see it becoming, uh, so I'm going to paraphrase this and say that, do I say that you're asking me, do I think it's going to become mainstream in the near future or will it continue to be more of a specialist sort of field? Um, I see it entering the mainstream um, if technology is made more widely available. Um, I'll explain. <laughs> Uh, so just as we talk about how businesses and how the corporate sector will accept and integrate sustainability into their strategic goals only if it makes more money for them, makes more or less money but is useful from a profit perspective, um, I feel at the governance and planning, in the realm of governance and planning, it's only going to work for your average citizens if it's cheap and if it's efficient. The average consumer is not really Willing. I'm going to make a very sweeping statement over here. It's, it's super generalized. I think based on personal experiences as well, I'm not going to A, buy that carton of sustainably grown avocados if I can't afford it, and B, if I have to travel too far for it, or go through too much of um, logistical and infrastructural effort to gain access to it. So. I think there's a, a major, and this is already happening at many levels, but just to give my two cents, I believe that there needs to be a lot more technological infusion in terms of making all of these things cheaper and more affordable. If that happens, I do believe that the average citizen is going to accept this as a, as a daily part of his or her living. The same goes from, uh, at the governance level, there's a lot of constraints that cities and, and even neighborhoods or villages face. There's limited budgets, there's limited infrastructure, there's your basic health needs of the people that they need to fulfill. So it's, it's very convenient to, to, to tell a community, you know, set up your microgrid because decentralized microgrids are the most efficient form of, of energy, electricity supply or, or things like that. But they need funding, they need um, the technical support to be able to set this up within a short span of time and things like that. So. I feel like technology plays a very, very major role in, in making this, this sort of transition of sustainability from the niche to the mainstream happen. If that is done on a much more aggressive level, I, I definitely feel things will definitely change. Finding something, especially like sustainability, where we are now, this program didn't exist five years ago. This program is something that's, I don't want, I hate using the word revolutionary just because I find it a little cliche. What about trailblazing? I think that's almost worse. I think that might be more cliche. <laughs> but it's new, it's different, and it's something that I didn't know that I could study, but for some reason it really clicked and not just the program itself, but the course offerings, the kind of the flexibility that we're allowed in this program, as well as the people. I think the people really make this program. I think that's the best way to describe our program is we have a lot of people studying with us that 
some of them know exactly what they want to do and other people are more along our lines of I know what my what my life is about I know what I'm about I know what my morals and values are now how can I form that into a meaningful career and life path I think that's really cool that sustainability can be massaged into all these different facets of life because you can now apply sustainable practices whether it's reporting whether it's resilience whether it's policy whether it's hard science whether it's uh, finance or economics you can somehow get sustainability or sustainability concepts into the woodwork yeah whether it's public sector, private sector. And I think that's something that will be really cool about this podcast as it grows is that I'm really hoping to show a wide range of people and what they do. And I think I'm hoping that that will sort of, you know, inspire and inform people about the range of possibilities. I think that's something that would be important. It'd be cool. I want it to be something that's at least a jumping off point, something that gets people thinking or talking and going, oh, I maybe that is a sustainability issue, or maybe we can be taking a different lens to this. And I think that that start to things, that catalyst allows people to start talking about sustainability in very modern terms. It is interesting. I don't, I don't think I tell anybody about the degree that I'm getting outside of our circle that isn't like, well, so what does that mean exactly? And it's like, <laughs> it is a nuanced term. It's kind of like, it doesn't necessarily mean exactly what we're doing. Like it's so we all have these specifications and these specific concerns, but it's such a broad range. And that I think that's one of the jobs that I'm hoping suspect will pull off is the fact that it's sort of making it real and applicable. And, you know, you can understand real life situations that sustainability applies to and just how broad it is and how everyone should be concerned with it basically. Yeah, this is Suspect. Uh, Expect us back in two weeks' time. And we hope to bring you some really cool interviews. We hope to bring you some really cool news. And at least take apart that news and those interviews and apply a really unique and hopefully different lens than you're used to. All right. Any last words? No, not really. Just make sure to edit this so I sound smart. Okay, I'll try. Thanks. Alright, before you go, I just wanted to give a big thanks and shout out to Zale. They uh, provided the intro and outro music today. You can find them at soundcloud.com slash justzale. That's J-U-S-T-Z-A-Y-L-E. Go and give them a listen. Make sure to subscribe. Also, please subscribe to our SoundCloud feed. You can find it, same address, but just suspect. That's S-U-S-T-S-P-E-C. Also, big thank you to Avantika for hosting me and letting me uh, interview her. I hope that 
you enjoyed this show and hope to see you next time. All right, take care.